0: Breaking It Down with Frank McKay.
1: Long Island Vibes.
0: On 1071
1: WLIRFM
0: Hampton Bays. Now, here's your host, Frank McKay.
1: I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. But more importantly, our very special guest is author and poet, too. I want to ask Ann about that. But Ann Serling, she's the author of just a wonderful, wonderful book. As I knew him, my dad, Rod Serling. Ann, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Frank. I'm thrilled to have you. When did you start the project of putting the book together?
0: Well, I used to be a preschool teacher and did write poetry in my spare time, and then I just I wrote this book. This book took me about six or seven years, actually seven years, I think, to write, and and the hardcover came out in 2013.
1: It was emotional to read, very touching. It was just it was so beautifully done, but I imagine. Writing this book must have been a very difficult <laughs> ordeal. I don't mean ordeal, but a uh, process, a difficult process. Is that accurate?
0: Yeah, it, it, I would say absolutely accurate. It was torturous at times. But like my dad, I find writing cathartic. And uh, so in many ways, it was extremely helpful to sort of navigate you know, through my grief process. I had actually started another book. Shortly after, well, a couple years after my dad died, called in his absence, and I wasn't ready at all to complete that, so it was several years later that I started uh, as I knew him.
1: Now, when you're making that decision that I'm not ready to complete this, are you right on with your feelings? In other words... Are you not able to complete it because you just emotionally weren't there and did you know it or were you thinking, you know what, I may not be ready to write a book. Maybe I'm, were you second guessing yourself or was it just purely on the emotion of not being able to deal with it at that moment?
0: Well, I think everything you, everything you just said and I just wasn't ready to even revisit uh, any of, you know, my dad's death and, or even, you know, all the wonderful happy times. It was just, it was just too Uh, overwhelming at that
1: point. He died at 50, am I right? Yes, yeah. Way too young and such a brilliant man who, you know, we interview a lot of authors and some of the biggest best selling authors and they're all Twilight Zone fans, (laughs) you know, especially obviously the sci-fi guys are, but everyone is such a Twilight Zone fan and it holds up. It still holds up. I've seen every episode, I don't know how many times and I could have You know, long conversations with people about parts of episodes, never mind the episodes. How was your father, as a, in regards to being either a delegator or kind of being hands on or overly hands on? And before you answer that, let me remind folks that are just tuning in or just joining us that this is Frank McKay, but more importantly, Ann Serling, author Ann Serling of as I knew him, my dad, Rod Serling, is the book, and everyone should get it. And where can they get it? Can you give us a quick site that's the best?
0: It is available uh, at Barnes & Noble or Amazon.
1: Now, back to the question about your dad. What type of, you know, let's call it manager was he? Was he hands-on, overly hands-on? Was he a delegator?
0: Well, that was the beauty of The Twilight Zone versus the, the show he did later called The Night Gallery, with The Twilight Zone, he had complete uh, creative control. Um, he owned Kyuga Productions, and so he had a uh, voice in directors and producers and actors and other writers. He wrote uh, 92 of the 156 episodes, but there were some other fabulous writers, too. Earl Hamner, Bradbury. Uh, George Clayton Johnson, uh, several others, and... Uh, I think it was really a very seamless team of writers, and and they all just worked together very well.
1: Do you have a favorite episode or a script that your father wrote for the Twilight Zone?
0: I do. I, I love Walking Distance, which is certainly autobiographical of my dad's. Um, when he he grew up in Binghamton, New York, and every summer when we would come east, we have a cottage that's about an hour from Binghamton. And every year he would do this annual pr- pilgrimage and go back to his hometown. And and I think the script is, is just so lovely. So that would be a favorite. And a Stop at Willoughby would be a favorite. Death Head Revisited. Night of the Meek is one that we watched as a family every Christmas Eve.
1: Mm. Yeah. Wow. That, was that Art Carney? That wasn't Art Carney, right? No, he was. Uh, um, yes, it was. Yeah, Art Carney. And yeah, that was a wonderful. Actually, uh, that had a different viewing presence than the other ones. It was a different look to it. If I remember I think correctly.
0: That, that may have been one they did on cassette. And I think that's why.
1: Wow. Did you realize, and I'm trying to put a timeline together, but while you were in school, did you realize that, Hey, my dad isn't only special to me, but my dad is changing pop culture. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, pop culture wasn't talked about back then, but he's changing the entertainment world. And he's making such an impact. Were you thinking that, or is it just, you know, this is my dad?
0: It was absolutely just my dad. I mean, I I always knew when I was younger that my dad was a writer, but I never knew specifically what he was writing, and I I talked about this in the book, that uh, I didn't know what he wrote until some mean boy on the playground asked me one day if I was something out of the Twilight Zone, (laughs) and I had no idea what he was talking about. So I went home, and I asked my father, and he explained that he wrote for a show, and it was a little too old for me, and uh, and it really wasn't until years later, uh, you know, aside from that one episode I mentioned, Night of the Meek, that uh, I even really watched many of the Twilight Zones. It was after he died that it really became important to me, and initially, that was more to see him than the actual show.
1: Yeah. You mentioned Willoughby. I remember my late mother always talking about that episode that, you know, in people's mind you always want to find that place to live you want to find that place to go and she'd say like Willoughby and and of course at the end of that episode you see Willoughby funeral home on the hearse but you know Willoughby I mean it was just a wonderful idyllic setting and did your dad ever talk like that in terms of well it sounded like the place that you and your sister grew up was kind of picturesque as well a cabin on a lake is that accurate?
0: Right. A summer cottage um, actually built by my uh, mother's grandfather and her great-grandfather. I mean, it's, uh, it's not, you know, this huge mansion by any means. It's a very old cottage that I think is now almost 200 years old. And then my parents built a, a more contemporary house next to it in, I guess, the early 70s. Uh, but I guess idyllic in the sense that, you know, it was just It was where we spent our summer vacations and, you know, the lake, and it was just wonderful.
1: Who has possession of that cabin? Is it a, you know, historic monument? Is it a, uh... We we still own it. You do? Wow. Is it, you know, still part of your every summer or your everyday life? Do you visit the cabin or is it more the house next door?
0: Well, uh, my husband and I lived in the, re- in the Red Cottage, the cottage that I'm talking about. Wow. And then my mother would live in the house next door. I don't get down there nearly as much as I'd like to just because I'm so busy, but um, it's always in my head and my heart.
1: Cougar Productions is the name of Rod Serling's. It was the name of the company that he used. And Kyuga and County is a county upstate in the, in the Finger Lakes region. Is that cottage in Cougar County? Well, it's.
0: It's not, and it. it's on Cayuga Lake, and that's why he called it uh, Cayuga
1: Productions. Uh, yes, okay, I got that. Let me remind folks, once again, that this is Frank McKay, but more importantly, author. and Sherling is our very special guest. As I knew him, my dad, Rod Sherling. So many people go through the Planet of the Apes, unless they, you know, if they blink and they miss in the credit there, they forget that Rod Serling wrote the screenplay for Planet of the Apes, which was one of the great films of all time. And your dad, somehow it gets overlooked and maybe because he passed not too long after it, but the Planet of the Apes, that original film was so historic and pop culture and continued on and merchandise and everything else that came. And for some reason, I think that your dad gets overlooked. Have you ever looked at it like that? Well, what happened with
0: Planet of the Apes is my dad had really wanted to stay uh, very close to the novel when he was writing the screenplay, and what he produced turned out to be too expensive for the studio to to produce. So they brought in another writer whose name is escaping me right now. Uh, but the iconic ending is is my dad.
1: Yeah,
0: and a- 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 as are several little. Things throughout the film that I think are pretty recognizable as his, in, you know, as his style.
1: Yeah. What did he think of the film? Did you ever get his impression of the film?
0: Um, I, I think he was, uh, well, I think it was sort of a mixed bag. Um, but I think ultimately he was probably pleased with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it stands up. It's one of those films that just stands up. Twilight Zones stand up. And so many of them are just classic i mean to me all of them are and there are so many people i know that are out there listening who are saying absolutely the same thing did you ever do any statistics or are you aware of any statistics on how many books or how many references and articles that your dad was mentioned in or was somehow featured in is there any kind of way to keep statistics on something like that
0: i i don't know the number but i know there have been several um uh, you know, there was been, there's been a movie, a pinball machine, there's been books, there's been graphic novels, etc., um, etc., cetera, et cetera. and no one, no one, Frank, would have been more surprised than my dad. And and I think it, you know, survived, and I'm certainly not the first to say this, but I think that the show survived because it deals with social and moral issues that sadly so many are still so relevant and prevalent today, you know, like prejudice.
1: Yeah. He was on the cutting edge. Actually, not on the cutting edge. He was before his time. He was talking about a lot of these things that just weren't talked about back then. People weren't doing that. And maybe because it was in, in the form of sci-fi first and then the moral lesson second, maybe that's what got it through. But I think if you just wrote a straight play or a screenplay on that and it was a drama and not attached to the branding of The Twilight Zone, I don't know that you would have gotten away with it.
0: Yeah, well, I think, you know, part of, his frustration. I mean, he he wrote The Twilight Zone because he was always interested in science fiction and fantasy. But part of it, I think, why he launched it was he was so frustrated with the uh, censors. For instance, he had wanted to write the story about the little African-American boy, Emmett Till, that was murdered. And he ran through several scripts and finally wrote one called The Town Has Turned to Dust. And he said, by the end, after the Uh, Spencer's had gotten to it and redlined it Uh, His script had turned to dust Ah, wow
1: Wow Did he have a favorite director That he worked with? Did he talk about that?
0: That I don't know
1: Yeah, I mean, he worked with so many great, you know, actors and directors. So many people got their start from that. And again, not to bring up a sore subject here, but at your dad's wake or funeral, was it star-studded? Was it private? What was his wake like?
0: Well, uh, there was a service in California that took place at the same time as the one that we had here in upstate New York. Um, I, I don't know and I never asked who was present in California. I know Gene Roddenberry wrote a beautiful eulogy for my dad. Um, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. It was a pretty uh, blinding time. Yeah. Um, I can, I'm not sure that's yeah. the right word. I just, uh, I, I have no idea.
1: On a, A more cheerful note, let me ask you this question, Chittenango, which isn't all that far from where we talked about, Cougar Lake, and it's not like it's next door, but it's not far, I believe that's the hometown of Frank Baum, and Frank Baum was the writer of The Wizard of Oz, and the town painted their sidewalks gold, you know, like in the yellow brick road, right, so, and the museum is there and everything else. I've had this conversation 10, 20 times. Have they ever thought about doing something like that with your dad in that town or in a specific town that he lived to do something to commemorate that he was once a resident there?
0: It's it's something that uh, we're trying to launch in Binghamton, yes.
1: Binghamton, is that's the type of city. In the city of Binghamton or the town surrounding?
0: The the city of Binghamton, yeah. Yeah. He he grew up in Binghamton, New York. But I did not know that about Frank Baum and the... uh, Street painted gold. That's wonderful. Yeah,
1: it's wonderful. You should check it out because I do think it's a selling point to the city of Binghamton. Was people from all over the place go to this small little town? And again, we'll do a little research to make sure I'm right. But Chittenango is the name of the town that he grew up in. And of course, it's so iconic, just like the Twilight Zone, uh, Wizard of Oz. Is it means so much to people that are into fantasy and and into uh, you know Judy Garland fans and the pop icon scenario of the wizard of oz and why not you know why not do something like that and your dad to me is an iconic figure like you said he's on pinball machines you just show the image of rod Serling and with the cigarette on the stage explaining very calmly and sober soberly the episode or something about the episode i mean that's Everyone knows who that is. You could show that to, you know, most teenagers now, and they would know what that is and who that was. And why not? Why not do something? Let me remind people once again that Anne Serling is our very special guest. This is Frank McKay, but more importantly, Anne Serling is the author of As I Knew Him, my dad, Rod Serling. And when you finally finished, you know, because you said six or seven years to complete it, when you finally completed this book, was it relief? Were you nervous? Was there concern that maybe I didn't capture anything? What was your feeling going forward?
0: Well, I think I'm a typical writer. You always have some reservations. You always have some doubt. You always have some trepidation. But I, I think every day, you know, when I would close down my computer after writing, I, you know, I would ask myself, is this something that my dad would support? Would he be proud of this? Would he agree with what I've said? And I could always answer that unequivocally, yes all of those questions. So I I felt that I had done a pretty good job. And and I've heard from people that, you know, have read the book and they've just been so kind, a lot of people that tell me that they went into writing because of my dad or uh you know, the influence that he had even even when they were kids watching the show and then several people telling me that uh because I was quite open about my grief, which I wasn't in, initially when I first sent uh, an initial draft to my to my editor, she said, your grief is so central to this book, you need to be more open. And when she said that, I just, I let it go. And I actually did a early reading at the Paley Center before the book was done, and a woman came up to me afterwards and told me that her father had a terminal illness and that he, he was going to be gone any day, and that after hearing me read, she knew she would be okay. And I, I can't even tell you, Frank, what that meant to me. I mean, it was just mm. sort of this unexpected. Gift in a way, and, and I, I couldn't even answer her. All I could do was hug her because just that my, you know, what I had said, my words had, had had some impact on her, and you know, these other subsequent people, it just means so much to me.
1: Ann Serling, author Ann Serling, as I knew him, my dad, Rod Serling, of course, the great Rod Serling from Night Gallery and Twilight Zone, and so much others, so many other great, great television programs, and what was the original, I'm trying to think of the name of it. It was like CBS had a, and your dad started writing for it originally. What was the, it was like a masterpiece theater, but CBS, it was a.
0: The golden age of television. Yeah. That,
1: uh, yeah. Right. How many episodes did he write for that? Do you know?
0: I'm not sure, but I, I think there were several. I know there was In the Presence of Mine Enemies and Requiem for Heavyweight. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know the exact number.
1: You know, another great piece of writing and just wonderful where people can follow you and your social media and people can, you know, buy your product and contact you.
0: Uh, yeah, my website is com. I'm, I'm more often on Facebook. Um, I think that's Ann Books. I can send you the link. And we've also, my husband and I started a new imprint, Rod Serling Books, which is sort of a platform for uh, new and established writers, new talented and established writers where because the publishing industry is so difficult, we we wanted to give people an opportunity, and uh, we're publishing some books through that, and also selling uh, books. We've brought back uh, my dad novelized nineteen of the Twilight Zones, and we've uh, brought those back in print, and those are available as well.
1: Hmm. Just wonderful, wonderful career and just a wonderful book that Anne Serling wrote. As I knew him, my dad, Rod Serling, and of course, Rod Serling from the Night Gallery and Twilight Zone, Requiem for Heavyweight, Planet of the Apes. Your dad was outspoken politically and socially. I mean, it's safe to say, right? He was not a shrinking violet when it came to his opinions. Nope, absolutely not. (laughs) Now, were there opinions that he had that, when you look back, you're surprised that he got away with it. In other words, and again, he was before his time. And nowadays, anybody could give their opinions. But back then, it was certainly a, a lot more conservative back then. And it was a lot more difficult to say what you feel.
0: Right. It was so stifling back then. I, You know, I often think if he were around today, how much more he, he would have been able to say. But he, he had a quote that he said, a writer's job is to menace the public's conscience. And I think that's, you know
1: that's brilliant what he
0: did Great. and rightfully so
1: right yeah no doubt what was the harshest criticism that he ever got because he made some statements in his writing you know even you know as far as religion and questioning I mean, look, even in the Planet of the Apes, it was a very much, that was questioning everything. That was questioning, you know, reality. A lot of people just look back and say, oh, you know, interesting movie. But then when you come to the end, again, this is an interesting take and actually a very, you know, a risky take on society. And again, I know he didn't write the, the novel, he took from the novel, but it's very much like your father to take those chances.
0: Right. Well, he thought it was important, you know, for a writer to be honest and and speak out about what he was passionate about. I always knew that, um, particularly prejudice. He was he was just outraged by. It. In fact, it's interesting that his first taste of prejudice came from his own people when he was in high school. He was blackballed from a Jewish fraternity for dating non-Jewish girls. Wow. But, uh, and it, and also when he, he was very traumatized by the war and. Initially, he was going to, he only went to Antioch College because his brother had gone there and he was going to be, uh, he wanted to teach phys ed to kids because he liked working with kids. And he really switched to writing because, because of all the, uh, post-traumatic stress from the war. He, he had said that, uh, he needed to get it off his chest. He needed to get it out of his gut. And, and so he changed to language and literature. And, and that's why, he, He became a writer, which, you know, it it really, again, you know, he was so cathartic for him to to write his way out of all of that trauma.
1: Anne Serling is our very special guest, Frank McKay here, and the daughter of the great late great Rod Serling and the name of the book. It's wonderful. Everyone should get it. Don't illegally download it. Buy the damn thing. It is so worth it. And get copies for your friends. They will love you for it. As I knew him, my dad, Rod Serling, is the name of the book. And please pick this up. And Serling is our very special guest. Let me ask you if there's a Twilight Zone episode or a character in the twilight zone that somehow reminds you of your dad. And I don't mean the show itself, but I mean the specific character.
0: Well, I think, you know, the, the two that I mentioned before, certainly walking distance. Yeah. And my dad had said, uh, he, he was also a teacher and he taught, um, writing at Ithaca college. And also he taught at Antioch for six months. And he said he had a propensity to deal with nostalgic, uh, ideas. And so I think certainly the character in Walking Distance was my dad and Willoughby in the sense that I think that certainly was a piece of his idyllic childhood. There was also a night gallery ca- that was up actually a really lovely script called They're Tearing Down Tim Riley's Bar that was very much autobiographical.
1: Wow. That's interesting. Gig Young, I think, was in Walking Distance. That, yes,
0: you're was- right. Yes.
1: Yeah. And, you know, he was, you know, the and Willoughby, the scene in that episode, not only about the beautiful town, the ideal town, but, you know, he was in a scene. And again, I didn't know him. I know the book and I know some of the story. But if you think about it. The fact that he was being pressured, the character was being pressured by his boss, by corporate, you know, by corporate, and they were pressuring this guy and into something that he didn't want to do, and they were just on him and on him, and then finally he said, you know, shut up, fat boy, <laughs> shut your fat mouth. You know, right. I I wonder if any of that was coming from your father, or if your father could relate with that, with dealing with the, whether it's the censors or the, the networks or the studios. What's your thought on that?
0: Well, I think... My dad was once quoted as saying that he couldn't make up characters. They were always based on people that he knew. So I think all of the characters you see are, are people that uh, that he had experience with.
1: Is there anything that he never got to do that, and again, you would love to think of what he would have done, and, you know, I mean, nowadays, I mean, 50 years old, you know, now people are living to 100, but let's say he would have lived to 75 years old. Do you think... There is anything out there that happened in the 25 years after your dad passed that he would have loved to have been involved with? And whether it's a a movie or a, a television show, is there anything that came up and you said, boy, that's got dad's name written all over it?
0: I think, um, actually, as you asked that question, I'm thinking of that show Newsroom that I think my father would have liked. I think there's some real, there, you know, as much as there's so much crap on television and these yeah. reality shows would have oh. so intense him, oh. there, there, are so, there are also some good shows that I think he would have uh, been proud to have been a part of.
1: Would you like something like The Sopranos?
0: I, I Sure, I think he would have liked that one, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I could see him. I mean, the characters are so real and so personal. What about traveling with your dad and your family? What type of traveling did you guys do as a family?
0: Well, you know, again, every summer we would come east to the cottage. We used to go to Mexico, uh, Palm Springs occasionally, um, you know, school vacations. We would uh, never went to Europe together, but th- those places I just mentioned.
1: How about solitude? Your dad, did he like to get alone? Did he enjoy his alone time? Did he go for drives? Did he go for walks? What was his, I know you mentioned in the book that he'd go out, you know, like he had like a little cabin set up and you made note that maybe to get away from uh, you, your sister and the dogs and you had rats, I think, right? Didn't you have pet right. rats? Right. And, you know, he would go on the property into a quiet, you know, what was it? Like a, a little cabin, right? He enjoyed his solitude. Well,
0: he was a very gregarious kind of guy, and he loved to be around people. So I think uh primarily he he was very social. The writing, you know, because of its very profession, you know demands solitude and because writing can be such a solitary and isolating life that you know I think he welcomed when you know he'd shut that typewriter down to be in the, in, in other people's company.
1: As I knew him, my dad, Rod Serling, is the name of the book. Ann Serling is the author. Thrilled to have her. This is Frank McKay, but more importantly, Ann Serling is our very special guest. Who are some of your dad's better friends? Anybody that we would know? Well,
0: he, you know, mostly he, they, my parents hung around the producers and other writers. And in terms of celebrities, uh, he was friends with Betty White, he was friends with Carol Burnett. Um, But well-known people, you know, again, it was mostly producers and writers.
1: Now, let's talk a little bit about your poetry. You wrote poetry predominantly before you became an educator, before you became a, were you a kindergarten teacher? Is that what you are? I was a preschool teacher. Preschool teacher. Were you writing most of your poetry before that, during that, after that? Do you write poetry now?
0: Um, all of the above, yeah. yeah. And I used to actually show my dad my poetry, and if he liked it, he would make a huge deal about it and talk about it for a long time. And if he didn't like it, I would know immediately because he would declare it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, I wrote a poem called Monologue, which sort of was the beginning of my memoir.
1: That's interesting. Is there a book of your poetry?
0: Uh, no, I have not done a book.
1: That's a very personal thing, I would imagine. Is it something you want to do?
0: To release a book of poetry? Is that what you're asking? Yes. Um, uh, maybe at some point. I hadn't really thought about a book of poetry, but I'll take you up on that. <laughs> well,
1: how much do you have? It's got to be volumes of, I would assume, volumes of poetry. Well, I shouldn't assume, but I mean, you've been writing for years. <laughs> and do you write often? Do you just write when it hits you? Or do you kind of do it as an exercise?
0: I, I usually write when it hits me, and I, and I do have a lot of poems. Some are pretty lousy. Some are okay.
1: Mm. Was your father an optimist, a pessimist? How do you classify him?
0: Um, I, would, I would say that things saddened him about the world, uh, but I would also say that he was a very optimistic person, and I think what surprises people is that he was extremely funny. And I don't think people that didn't know him, you know, that just saw that image walking across that MGM soundstage knew that at all or would even guess that. But he was very funny.
1: I would guess that he would be very funny. And what was his humor like? Was it a dark humor, a dry humor, a silly humor?
0: He was very silly. Very silly.
1: That's interesting. Is your sister older or younger than you? She's three years older. Three years older. And what did she do? What did she do professionally?
0: Uh, she was a nurse.
1: She was a nurse. Wow, that's very interesting. So you both changed your name when you got married? i I I'd go with Sterling. Oh, you do. Yeah. I mean, why would you ever want to give up <laughs> that name, right? Did any of your, your students wouldn't recognize the last name, but did anybody ever put two and two together, the parents of the students that you were teaching?
0: Um. Some. Um, uh, these were pretty little kids though And their parents were pretty young and uh, But some did,
1: yes Is there anyone that tried to get You to do something, and well, I should ask you this first, the iconic rights, I mean, this is something that's fairly new, when I say fairly new, over the last 20 years, 30 years, but the iconic rights to things, you know, for example, uh, Michael Jackson bought the Beatles catalog, and different people I know, FX Silliman is a billionaire, and he bought the iconic rights to Muhammad Ali, does the family own the iconic rights to Rod Serling?
0: To Rod Serling, yes.
1: You do, not the Twilight Zone, though.
0: No, not The Twilight Zone, Uh, but my dad did reserve theatrical and publishing rights.
1: Has anybody approached you? You know, I'm not getting too personal here. I'm not asking specifics, but did anyone ever approach you about buying the rights to your father's image? Well, we do own the image. Right, but did anybody ever try to buy that off of you? No. See, I imagine that would be a very, very difficult situation for a family in some ways i guess somebody who really knows their business with the iconic rights could take off with it they were going to do the right thing and do it responsibly and somebody came along and said we'd like the iconic rights to rod serling and the family worked out something you know i imagine it could just make your dad and the family's name just you know even last longer in history if they knew what it was but at the same time you know you'd be almost like giving up part of your family or something i don't know do you have feelings on that
0: yeah i would never want to do that no <laughs> i i just wouldn't trust that in somebody else's hands it's uh no wouldn't want to do that
1: when your book came out how many well-known people, or for that matter, how about people that aren't well-known? How many people reached out to you and just either wrote thoughtful letters or, you know, emails or something? Did you save all of that? Did you save all of the gathered, like, I don't want to call them reviews, but personal reviews, you know, people like myself?
0: I absolutely have because it's been, uh, I'm so appreciative and, and humbled by people's kindness So I I do have a file of all these letters and notes and comments that people have written me because um, I I was staggered by that, Frank, and and so extremely appreciative.
1: Anne Serling is the author of As I Knew Him, My Dad, Rod Serling. We have a few minutes left with Anne Serling. This is Frank McKay, and Anne is a poet and just a wonderful wonderful biographer of her legendary dad would you ever consider putting together the letters that you got in response to this i mean to me that would you know i'm a big twilight zone fan and i'm a big fan of yourself and your dad so i would be fascinated with that but do you think there's anything there that would be able to be created into a book, the thoughts, different people's thoughts on the twilight zone, people's thoughts on your dad. You know, I know I've read different things that, uh, you know, thoughts that Betty White had and, and so many others had, and they were really, really thoughtful. And I'm sure there are people that would go further in my pages of this. Has that ever been talked about?
0: Well, um, not the specific letters, but, um, I did include, in the paperback version, I did include, uh, some of, peop- some of the people's comments. Not as many as I would have liked to, but I, you know, I didn't have the space to do that. But, uh, yeah, and, and, and I have to say that, you know, no one would have been more shocked than my father that his legacy has survived as, as long as it has. He, he was once quoted as saying that he just wanted to be remembered as a writer, uh, and and he just would have been floored by people's memories and kindness and, and the wonderful things that they still say all these years later. He, you know, he's now been gone 40 years, which is pretty staggering in and of itself.
1: Is there unpublished works by your dad? Is there a body of work that people have just never seen?
0: There, there is one, yes.
1: And is it a book? Is it a script? What is it?
0: It was a script that he wrote.
1: What's the name? Can you share it with us?
0: Um, Well, I'm not sure I really want to go down there. Go ahead.
1: Front. Yeah, that's okay. Okay.
0: It's sort of been floating out there, and I'm not sure what's really going to happen.
1: That's interesting. But only one? Uh, yes. I mean, there's nothing else out there. Was there anything released after your dad passed, posthumously released, that he didn't see come to fruition, but it came afterwards?
0: There were a couple of Twilight Zones uh, that were had not been produced i think that were redone um possibly a couple of night galleries
1: what were the twilight zones anything that i mean they're um, public now right do you I'm remember sorry? it's public now they've been out in the mainstream now
0: right and i think actually they may have been done but they were redone and then i know you know there was a show in the 80s and maybe in the 90s too where they tried to bring back twilight zone and i think they used uh, a couple of scripts that maybe hadn't been done initially. I'm, I'm not completely sure about that.
1: Well, that didn't work, let me tell you. The uh,
0: Well, you know, and I've been told, and I, this may have been George Clayton Johnson. I can't remember who said this. I may be wrong about that. But you know what? The key element missing in, in the the attempt to do the remakes was my dad.
1: I, and the and only I the only element missing yeah, was your I dad.
0: Remakes, I think remakes are so difficult anyway. I mean, I think sometimes one ought to leave things the way they were. <laughs>
1: You know, like Gone with the Wind without Vivian Lee or Clark Gable or something. You know, I mean, you just kind of leave them alone and just let them, you know, they should never remake The Godfather and they should never remake The Twilight Zone. The Honeymooners, I mean, it's another thing that you should just kind of leave alone. And, you know, it's a tribute to your dad, to your family that they tried to, not only tried, but they succeeded in producing a whole bunch of twilight zones and by the way i'm not a fan of them of the newer twilight zones but they were successful i mean they're somewhat successful anyway and the movie which basically remakes of the episodes that your dad oversaw or at least partially it just it didn't work the same way again we're running out of time here I I hope I can get a part two with you one of these days and maybe when that script that we're not talking about (laughs) something (laughs) develops there but Ann Serling you're a wonderful writer your book is fantastic as I knew him my dad Rod Serling about the late great Rod Serling again Frank McKay here with Ann Serling what do you want to leave us with can you give us your websites again
0: Uh, it's com and Rod Serling book. And I'm also on Facebook.
1: Anne Serling, thank you very, very much for being here. I appreciate it. You're very gracious with your time.
0: Thank you so much, Frank. I appreciate you calling me.
1: Anne Serling, everyone, has been our very special guest. I want to thank all of you for tuning in. Please get the book, As I Knew Him, My Dad, Rod Serling by Anne Serling. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. He's Breaking It Down.
0: So you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay
1: on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays.